Hello and welcome to Decisions That Matter, a public procurement podcast brought to you by Procurated, the largest ratings and review platform for the public sector. On today's episode, we are joined by Brooke Smith, who talks to us about her in-depth research in the state of Utah on women in government. She goes through her own journey in public procurement, and she discusses how women in government can navigate their career growth and conquer imposter syndrome. Brooke talks about the biggest issues that matter from finding female mentors and male allies to getting an education that sets you up for the job that you want. I hope you enjoy. This is a good one. Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. All right, welcome to this episode of Decisions That Matter. I'm Alex Stonehouse, uh, your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bernadette Lowney. And we are both joined today by Brooke Smith. Thanks for joining us, Brooke. Thanks for having me, Alex. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Glad to have you. Super excited to hear a little bit more from you. Talk a little bit about uh, your career, how you kind of got to where you are today. And talk about some of the, the research you've done um, that has really been making an impact on both your community and the people you work with, but also um, a lot of different people around the country. So uh, this should be a really great episode, and I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. Me too. So glad you're here today, Brooke. So, you know, for, for everyone listening, you know, we like to just reach out to people in the procurement community, especially people that are doing really interesting and time-sensitive work of things that are really just important in the public sector and just the world as a whole. Um, so, Brooke, how I found you was seeing, sharing on um, LinkedIn, a recent study that you did researching women in leadership in the state of Utah. Um, so I know in our previous conversations that you worked on this as part of a capstone um, research project. Would right, love right. just to kind of jump right into it and hear, you know, what brought you to this topic? What, um, what was the, the objective of the research? And just kind of start from the beginning and tell us about it. Sure. So uh, like Alex said, my name is Brooke Smith and I am a purchasing agent and deputy city recorder for a medium-sized city in Utah. And I recently completed my master's of interdisciplinary studies uh, degree at Southern Utah University emphasizing in public administration and general studies uh, slash leadership. And with that, I had a capstone project uh, due at the end of my degree that um, I had to really think about what I wanted to do and how I could make an impact in Utah. And that, um, with my research, uh, I was really focused on women. I had a class on leadership and we talked about gender roles and leadership. in government and I really started focusing my attention on the information there and I was able to connect with an organization called Utah Women's and Leadership Project um, who does research throughout the state of Utah and they were recently doing a study on cities and towns and I asked Dr. Susan Manson if I could join in and help with that that research and so I helped collect the data analyze it and then also co-author the publication that was released. And the great thing with this capstone project is it was uh, groundbreaking. No one in the, in the US has ever done research at the local level of leadership positions. And so I'm really proud of the fact that Utah was able to capture that data and share it with the world. It gained national and local attention. 
and then hopefully more states will be able to use that information and collect data on, on their end. So we really can have a lot of information to share and know where we're at in women in leadership and leadership in general. So that was how I started that Capstone project. You should be proud. That's really, it's really amazing. And um, especially being the first of its kind, I'm, I'm sure and I hope that it's going to inspire so many other people to do it at the local level in their own state. Oh. That we'll be able to collect a, um, a, a really widespread baseline understanding to, to grow from. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and it was very labor intensive. Uh, like I said, I was, I've worked full time. I'm going to school, working on my master's. My commute in and out of work is about two hours long. And so I was doing homework during lunch hours and during breaks. And then I was working on this research project late at nights. And so um, it was very quick pace, but it was so fun to work with great colleagues. Um, I also worked with a Dr. April Townsend and then House Representative Candace Perusi also helped collect data and we, and we collaborated on the uh, findings and then the writing of the publication. So that was a lot of fun to work with such big names in Utah and make those connections. Awesome. Why is, you know, collecting, a data, collecting data and doing a study like this so important? Yeah, so I think it's purchasing officials or people in purchasing, uh, understanding the importance of analytics is key here. Uh, collecting data and be able to understand it is important for the entire community in knowing where you're at and where you're going. And that's what I was able to do with the state of Utah and with our Utah Women in Leadership Group um, and sharing that information. And why it's important is because if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And uh, former Prime Minister Theresa May said, if you can measure it, you either have to explain it or change it. And I think we're getting stuck on not being able to change it and trying to explain it. And, and the data really helps us do that and make educated decisions moving forward. So I'd love to hear more about the research itself. So what, um, what was the overall objective of the project and then how did you go about collecting collecting that data? Yeah, so for the research uh, in Utah, we have 247 cities and towns. And what we did is we created a spreadsheet that we shared information on. It was all uh, very detail oriented and we partnered with Utah League of Cities and Towns and they provided us a list of all the cities and towns in Utah with limited information. And then it was our job to contact each city, make sure the information we had was correct or verify uh, the information and see what needs to be changed and then update it as needed. So I reached out to a lot of our smaller uh, rural area towns uh, by email or phone call, just asking like who's in your leadership positions, what their gender is, what their title is, if they had a phone number or email, um, and just try to make con connections and have that information available that would be shared in the local leadership community. So I think we, Bernadette and I, we've had the, the benefit of talking to you once in the past already. So we, um, we kind of know where the, where the results actually went. But for those listening, do you mind going into what some of the actual findings of that research then turned out to be? Like what percentages of women were actually in these different roles at the different levels of government? How did that sort of break down once you were done gathering it all and actually looking at the data on the back end? What we found is in Utah, there's 29.1% of women that hold actual leadership positions in the state. 
And with that, we broke it down to like front, frontline employees, senior level employees, executives, and the top administrative employees. And as we worked our way up from each level or hierarchy, um, the executive level actually had 40.6% of women in leadership positions, but this can be explained with the number of city recorders. That number goes up because there are so many city recorders that are female. And then once you get to the executive or the top level, it goes back down to 23.2 or 3%. But what I found interesting in this research is the top tier for cities and towns is a city manager. And at the Utah level, there's only 5% of women that hold that position currently. And the national average is 19%. So clearly Utah is behind in times, but also it's low across the nation. So what do we do to adjust that or, or fix that? And I think gathering information and like data, like what we did will help that conversation and maybe help change some things or open mindsets to allow more women into those higher position roles. That is Uh, so interesting. I, I, I love, and I'm so glad you guys made that position distinctions as well, because something that I've always found really interesting is even just looking outside of government and just looking at um, like business and, and the private sector, a lot of those gender metrics can be so skewed based on just the typical roles that women happen to fill. So you could see a company that has, you know, a, a 47 to 53% breakdown, but 90% of those women are in HR and marketing roles. Right. And it's like, they're not in the STEM roles and they're not really breaking down any barriers and they're not breaking through that glass ceiling. So the fact that so much of that majority, so much of that percentage um, looks good overall, but actually was filled into roles that they were typically in is is really interesting. Yeah. And and what was interesting as well that I noticed is of those five women, one of them was in a major urban town. Two of them um, were in rural towns and then two of them were in frontier towns. So we're talking small population small number of employees. And it really is a testament to those smaller communities who rely on women to take these leadership positions that have a lot more on their plates. They're not only being the city manager, but they're being the HR director. They're being the secretary at some point. So they always are collecting or like doing more than what is required of them in these smaller rural towns. Um, And I think that's fascinating. But what I would love to see is more women being eligible and applying for positions for cities and towns that have a higher population and really getting their name on the plate and and showing what they can do for our community and for our state. I think that's a really good transition into, I like um, in, in the final part of this study that you guys published, the recommendations that you had for the state. Um, so I think that's a really good transition. And if you want to kind of talk about, I think there was four of the major recommendations. I know one of them was just building programs and making a conscious effort to um, make it more accessible for, for women to climb up the leadership ranks. Yeah, so we had several recommendations. And the first one is really about education. Like women need to be educated to be eligible for those higher positions. You're not going to see a city manager that doesn't have a master's degree in some sort of field. Um, so for, it's really important for women to know that education is key to moving up. Uh, it doesn't have to not happen all the time, but it's, it makes it significantly easier. Um, another one is recruiting women. We, women need to support women and we need to be allies and help them 
move up the ladder. And then employees and um, employers need to create family family policies. And here, this is the key for COVID. Uh, it's reports are showing that women are taking on more responsibilities uh, in the home with doing in day uh, like in daycare home centers. They're working from home. They've got to do their education from their kids' education from home. We have a lot on our plates right now. And if we have employers that don't allow that flexibility, you're going to see women leaving the workforce. Um, the fourth one is uh, we need recognition and rewards. So if we do something, uh, share that information with our colleagues. We need a sense of validation. I think a lot of women need validation. And we wait for someone to say like, hey, like you did a great job. And that doesn't happen every day. And a lot of times I think women need just recognition and, and validation for saying, hey, you got up and you didn't wear sweatpants. Great job. Like we need mm -hmm. something to say like, we see you, we support you. You're doing a great job and keep going, keep on going. That actually, and this is backtracking to the data a little bit, but something that I wanted to ask if there was more information that you had, I found the statistics around the position classification to be really interesting and in that 40% of the women in leadership were in appointed positions. So that kind of mm -hmm. goes to like the, the recognition piece of it and they were appointed to that position, but where their statistics dropped were in elections so that could be that maybe women whether they're less likely to be elected or they're less likely to run i would guess it's a combination of both but that kind of breakdown i thought was really interesting that their highest percentage was in appointed position yeah absolutely women historically and statistically thinking speaking need to be tapped on the shoulder to run and and research here with dr susan matson she says that if you approach a woman they need to be tapped on the shoulder three times to really consider running for an elected position. It is, it is stressful to put yourself in the front eye, put yourself out there, be vulnerable, and have a community vote on you. Like no one wants to have that feeling, but uh, research shows, especially in Utah, that if you're tapped on the shoulder by three different individuals, then the uh, women will seriously take that into consideration and actually start to think about it and envision it and forecast it in their lives. And so I think that's important too. Like if we see a strong female role model or someone that we think would be good in an elected position, we really need to like reach out to them and say like, I think you should do this. What do you think? And allow them that mindset and that open mindset to take that responsibility and, and really consider it. The, the mindset issue brings up, makes me think of something you said a little bit earlier when you were talking about that kind of combination or the difference between education and also your collective experience and how much those things matter. I know we've talked about this as well. The, the idea, and I think you, you believe in this, of like actually thinking about and sort of planning where you want to go, where you want to be, where you would like, like what role you want to be in, where you want your career to be in five years, where you want it to be in 10 years. Because um, a lot of these jobs that are those higher level executive jobs have some type of minimum requirement, right? So it's, you have to have 12 years of experience or you have to have a master's or you have to have this and you have to have that. And I know from the private sector, there's studies, all kinds of studies on it that men will disproportionately apply to jobs that they're technically not qualified for. Like it'll say nine or more years and they'll be like, I have six, yeah. but I'm smart or whatever. And so women I'll apply. won't apply unless they yeah. have nine. So they'll be like, yeah, I have yeah. to get my nine. So I'll wait two years and whatever. Can you talk a little bit about just how you think about that planning aspect, the education aspect, and then just 
sort of that leap to just being like, hey, I earned this. I am qualified for this. I have the education. I have the experience. Like, I deserve this role. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, if, And if it's easier my, to talk through the lens of your own career, please yeah, feel free. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was doing my capstone thesis paper, uh, I really started looking at the qualifications of city leaders. And what I found is when you look at job description or job postings, they have a list of things, of wish list of things, but it narrows down to two things and it's education and experience. And education, if you're looking for a senior level position or, or a major leadership position, it usually requires some sort of um, advanced certificate or advanced degree like a master's. And um, in my research, I actually found that women graduate with more masters of public administration degrees than men do. So if you're looking at education alone, they, they graduate at 56.4% nationwide. More women should be applying for these positions than men, if you consider that factor alone. But then you get into this experience factor and a lot of women are getting caught in that broken rung syndrome or symptom of leadership where they stop at a level that they feel comfortable with and then they don't push themselves to move up the ladder or they don't have the opportunity to move up the ladder. Um, and I think we're, a lot of women, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of women have that imposter syndrome uh, of wondering if they're worth that title, if they um, are worth that amount of money, if they deserve that amount of money, um, if they want that responsibility. And so that really sets us back. But if we can overcome that idea and that, that thought, and have those opportunities to advance our experience, then we can see more women in leadership positions. I will say getting over that broken rung and getting to that past level, it's really hard. But what I can do is create opportunities for myself. And that is like volunteering for national organizations like NIGP, volunteering for local boards and authorities and creating a network of, of people that I can rely on, they can see how hard I work, and that will uh, approach me when positions of leadership are open and say, like, you should apply. It's that tap. You, women need the tap and say, like, you should apply for this or think about it. And hopefully by then you have enough experience. Yeah, the, the idea of imposter syndrome to me is a really interesting one because kind of the historical take on it is, yeah, that's for pe like people got promoted farther than they should have. They feel like an imposter because they are an imposter and they should have never got that far in the first place. And I think the tide is turning just like in common how people feel about that in general. And I definitely feel differently about it. And my opinion on it is that the imposter syndrome means you took the appropriate job. And like that might feeling might last for a year. It might last for two years. It might last for three years. But eventually you're going to be like, damn, I'm good at this job. Like I felt like an imposter two years ago. And now I'm the best person in my city at this job, or I'm the best person in my state at this job. Maybe the world, who knows how good you are at it. <laughs> yeah. But absolutely. you felt like an imposter on the first day because you're like, what the heck is going on here? Right. Um, so I think that knowing that and like knowing that it's okay to feel like that and being able to like be like, it's not going to last forever. Mm -hmm. We're going to push through it. There's people around me that I can ask for help, ask, ask for advice. Um, I'm not alone in this feeling. It's something that obviously easier said than done yeah. to like live with that feeling for however long you have it. But I think it's something that like, if you really think about it and you want to push your career, you should run at, run towards that um, instead of trying to um, avoid it. But 
again, yeah, easier said than done, but it's uh, it's nice to know that you're not in the wrong job if you feel like an imposter for right. six months. And if you're not uncomfortable in what you're doing, then you're not growing. And yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I watched a um, YouTube webinar earlier today, and one of the leaders, a major leader in Utah said, the enemy of success is not failure, it's comfort. And if you're comfortable, mm -hmm. you're, you're not pushing yourself. So I think uh, we need to be okay with the feeling of being vulnerable, of feeling like you're not enough, but knowing that you can get the job done. We all know we can learn. We all know we can grow and we can figure things out. And as long as you have that growth mindset, you're unstoppable. And I think we forget about that. And we, and we try to push ourselves down and that feeling of not deserving it. But again, we're only limiting ourselves and, and we need more women to be role models uh, for our young girls, from our, for our nieces and um, nephews, especially and showing them that you're capable of anything and everything. Do awesome. you feel like you have, um, in that context, like you have a really strong support system, like people, either whether it's a mentor or like like places like NIGP where you can go to them oh, and absolutely. ask that advice? Yeah. You know what is fascinating is uh, the research shows women need female mentors to have someone in their corner, but a lot of times that doesn't happen but they also need men allies. And what is fascinating to me is uh, I recently reached out to three of my male allies. They're former bosses of mine, uh, Jamie Blakesley, Sean Guzman, Jim Brass, he's a city council member and the other two are attorneys. Um, and I asked them to be a reference for a job that I was applying for. And I was so nervous to ask them like, what if, what if they don't believe in me? And that wasn't the case at all. They all came out and said, how can my voice be an advocate advocate for you? How can I help support you in your career goals and your career ambitions? One of them even said, who do I know? Who's applying, like, who's over this job? I'm going to call them right now. And um, I really just had to take a step back and appreciate the moment that I've got people in my corner that want to see me succeed. And I want to show them that I'm worth that and I and I want to work harder and hustle and try to get those positions that really are meaningful and can make an impact in Utah and and nationwide I guess. That's awesome. Yeah that's really that's really wonderful. Good for them and, and, and good for you because I mean that stuff comes from them being you know in pursuit of progress and wanting to see you succeed but also from you working really hard and doing a great job and earning their respect. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, and it's, but it's nice. I think we're in a really exciting time right now where I think people are really waking up and opening their eyes that there needs to be a lot of conscious work to be done yeah. um, in diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Well, and it shows like research shows too, that when women and men work together, communities thrive. Um, business is better. You're saving more money. You're making more money. Um, the, when you collect data, it gives you an opportunity to be empowered with information. And that's what the information is showing is women and men need to be on the top and share that responsibility. And when they do, they're successful. That was a really great example of um, the male allies in your life. Do you have any female mentors? Oh, absolutely. Especially with being in school, I am surrounded by female uh, doctorates of education, uh, Dr. Susan Matson. Dr. April Townsend, Dr. Cynthia Kimball Davis, they were all uh, women who have 
made significant impacts on education and have supported me in opportunities to continue my career they, and push me out of my comfort zone. And I just appreciate those friendships and those relationships that I've been able to create and, and foster. And I know that if I come to them with a question, they're going to have my back or be able to support me as well. We've spoken a lot today about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, em- embracing that vulnerability and that challenge. Can you tell us about um, a time in your career where you've encountered that? Maybe when you made the made a big jump or, you know, something like that where you feel like you really were, were vulnerable and um, really pushing yourself. So I have two that pop to my mind immediately. Right now, I am like super out of my comfort zone. My uh, mm-hmm. boss just announced on Monday that she has accepted a, another position within our organization. So I'm taking mm-hmm. over her roles and responsibilities right now. So I'm trying to learn uh, by fire a little bit on her responsibilities. But also, when I first moved up to uh, Salt Lake City area, I was back in about 2015, and I started a career, I actually took a career in, as a business licensing official for a medium-sized city here, and I loved the work, but I just didn't feel like I was fulfilled in the position, it didn't push me hard enough, I wasn't engaged as much as I should be. So I started looking around and with Salt Lake City, there's so many opportunities to make changes in and shifts in careers. And when I started looking at uh, job postings, I came to the conclusion that I could double my salary or I wanted, I tried to make a goal to double my salary in my next jump. And that's where I started really looking at the education requirements, the experience requirements. That's why I decided to go back to school and get my master's. And I, I was fortunate enough to be able to find a position that allowed me that leap and working for a transit authority for a couple of years. And it was one of the best experiences of my life because I was surrounded by people that were way far, like far more smarter than me, but were there to support me as well and push me out of my comfort zone. And I was just so thrilled that I had the opportunity that it really opened doors for me in my own self-confidence and realizing that I'm capable of doing big things and having opportunities like this. And so I've made it a career goal uh, since then. And as as silly as it sounds, I've made a career goal to double my salary every 10 years. And so I'm doing things to make small changes and shifts that allow me the opportunities. I'm taking uh, risks, I'm taking chances. I'm publishing research articles, I'm networking with people, I'm volunteering with four different organizations. I'm really trying to get my name out there to allow me the opportunities to keep on moving up that ladder and make a name for myself. And I hope other female, other employees, male or female, have that same type of goal and really try to push themselves. I will say, though, it is tough. You do get rejection letters. I've, I've had several uh, rejection letters, uh, which is always disheartening. But um, with those rejection letters, I know that I'm I'm being recognized, and one day that door is going to open. I was going to say each of the. Uh, it's cool to hear you list the things that you're trying to do because each of those individual things, networking, submitting research, submitting an article somewhere, each of those things is you're putting yourself out there. You're a little bit vulnerable. There's a chance someone's going to say mm-hmm. no. There's a chance someone's not going to oh, like yeah. what you wrote. There's like, you maybe maybe an article you wrote gets such good reception that all of a sudden five thousand people write it, and then you have comments in there, and like, 
who knows how that kind of stuff goes. So, but I think to your point, yeah. that's the key to making progress is like if you're never vulnerable and you're never putting yourself take walking out on that limb, like there's that's where all the good stuff is. Is out of, that's why people are walking out on the limb is to get the fruit that's dangling mm-hmm. on the skinny part. So, and we're and we're all capable mm-hmm. of that as well. So that's what's when you allow yourself the permission to think big it opens doors for you. And that's what's exciting. Do you have any um, like productivity or time management hacks or anything? Like any like conscious changes that you've made or like something you do yoga for 15 minutes every morning or like, I don't know, like whatever it is, but it sounds like you're balancing, you know, a lot of, a lot of different things and just doing a lot of conscious choices to better yourself. Do you have any kind of like little lifestyle tips or time management or anything? Um, I put everything in my calendar. If I don't write it down, I don't remember it. So I'm very, I'm very visual and I'm very like task oriented. And so if I say I'm going to do something in 15 minutes, it goes in my calendar right now. And then I'll remember it in 15 minutes or if it's in two weeks. And I just, um, with the new role of being a deputy interim city recorder for the city I work for while my boss changes positions. Um, I took her calendar and I've implemented that into mine. And so I've have over like 200 new calendar reminders in my calendar, just reminding me of things to remember to do or things I need to follow up on. uh, Just so I don't forget. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a lot of work, but if I don't put it there, it's not going to happen. So I would say um, utilize your calendar as much as possible. That's a good tip. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was an awesome episode. I think everybody who listens is going to learn a lot from you um, and really enjoy hearing your story and, and the details about all the research you've done. I know I definitely enjoyed it. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, Alex and Bernadette. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and for the chance to start this conversation and share these ideas and hopefully it will inspire someone else to work hard and work for those goals. And I'd love to hear your success stories. Thank you so much, Brock. This was wonderful. Hey, everyone. We got one quick update from Brooke about her own career journey and some good news on her end since we last chatted the other day. Um, So I wanted to update the podcast at the end here with one final question for Brooke to tell you a little bit about her new role and what she's going to be working on going forward. Before we put this into production, you had a totally different job. I think around the time this podcast is dropping, you'll have a completely new job. Um, Can you tell us a little about about, um, what that job is and how that happened? Um, Yeah, so I was invited uh, into our mayor's office shortly after our recording. Um, And I was interviewing for a appointed position with our agency for the city recorder position. Um, And I'm excited to announce that I have accepted that position and it's a significant uh, stepping stone for me to reach my journey and some of the things I talked about previously in this podcast. And my three takeaways for this uh, podcast, and I hope the message is clear for the listeners, is don't be afraid to apply for jobs that you are not qualified for. Go after the things that you want. To create a vision for yourself. Create uh, an avenue for you to keep moving up and taking those stepping stone positions to get to where you want to go. And three, don't forget to negotiate for yourself. Ask for more. Don't be afraid to ask for more money. Don't be afraid to ask for more vacation time or a car allowance or cell phone allowance. 
uh, stand up for yourself because if you don't, no one else will. So those are my three takeaways. I'm excited for this opportunity and I hope uh, you have the best luck on your journey. Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.